Hey, everybody, you're listening to Driving Them In with Jim Campanis Jr. and Eric Lindeberg, a show that we put together to talk about baseball on our drives home from work. I'm currently stuck on the 57 pinch. The people who live out here know where the 57 and 60 meet. Total nightmare. Uh, I'm going about half a mile an hour. How you doing, Eric, over there? I'm doing pretty good. A little warm, but I'm doing fine. Yeah, Eric's in Arizona, and as you might know, in uh, July, Arizona can tend to be a little wicked, a little little steamy. So uh, that, that, that fun weather is coming our way this weekend where I have a triple header this, this Sunday for softball fast pitch, and uh, it will be about 105. So what can you do? Ah. But anyway, we, we have a fun, uh, fun and interesting show today. Uh, this show ha- is being recorded a few days after the recent All-Star game. What do you think the All-Star game, first of all, Eric? Well, you know, it reminded me of the 1980 All-Star game, which I was at. I know you were there, too. Yeah. And I, cons- I considered that 1980 game to be one of the most boring in history. <laughs> they told Jackie Sr. That's back, right. right? Yep. That's right. And as much as they hyped up everything and had, you know, the guys mic'd up on the field and all kinds of things. It just it didn't change how the game was played, and the game was pretty slow. I thought. Yeah. What do you What did yeah. you think? Well, I was entertained by the 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 side stuff. So you know, having Freeman batting against Verlander with the mic on, and taking a first pitch and then saying, "I've never taken a first pitch fastball." <laughs> like yeah. you know, I mean, to me, like that was that was entertainment, and I enjoyed the 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 let the kids be kids part of that game. Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, as the game goes, you know, if you were to, like, score keep that game, it was boring as hell. And, you know, uh, you know, and, and sometimes we get all-star games like that. I, I remember because you talked about the Dodger Stadium game with uh, – that. by the way, Eric, that was the first game that I ever sat in a seat at Dodger Stadium, and I had already seen hundreds and hundreds of games because my grandpa had a box. So we never ever yeah. sat in seats, and in that particular day, you know, Major League Baseball basically owns all of the, you know, the the executive boxes that like all those seats are theirs now. So my grandpa yeah. got to sit in his own box, but the rest of us had to get tickets. So uh, of course, my first game, I sat four rows behind the Dodger dugout, and um, and you know, spoiled brat, right? I mean, and anyway. Uh, so Griffey hits that home run, and I was right there, and I got a good look at him, and he was all smiles. And then, you know, fast forward 20 years, he's my teammate. Weird. And uh, and yeah. I and I told I told him that too. I go, you know, I saw I was like right, you know, I told him the whole story, and and senior and I got along super well. And then he became our hitting coach, um, roving hitting coach, and uh, he was great because you know he threw left-handed, and he threw a cutter. So we started getting a lot of these guys, these pitchers, are throwing cutters at us, and we just had senior throw to us, and we crushed every time he came into town. So just a great memory you brought up there, Eric, about the, the Dodger um, All-Star game. But today our guest is four-time All-Star. Uh, and now, did you did you research his nickname? Yes. Okay, so uh, Rick Burleson, a.k.a. Rooster. Uh, where, did, where did Rooster come from? Uh, that's our guest today, by I, the way. I didn't see that. I didn't find that. Oh, you did not. Okay, so we'll have to, we'll have to ask Rick himself uh, where Rooster came from. I mean, he does. He, he's got kind of like a little, you know, and I'm saying a resemblance to a rooster, but he's a little little skinny, fast moving guy. And <laughs> yeah, they may have, especially when he was younger, he was really, you know, he was very fiery. By the way, that was the other 
the other part, the other takeaway to Rick Burleson is his uh, his competitive drive. And so he's one of those guys that, you know, we can ask him about a lot of topics that we've had on our show in the past. Like, you know, tell us about the recruiting process. Cause I'm sure he was recruited. I know he ended up uh, going to a JC and then being a first, you know, when we talk about the draft, like we did with Merchant and, um, you know, we could talk to him about, you know, the, his competitive drive and, and how quickly he got to the big leagues and if he thought that was anything. Uh, and then we can certainly talk about injuries um, because I know he was sidelined. And, and that's actually how, uh, as a player, I was in high school and I was at a rehab center and I was getting my arm or, or leg, I can't remember what was hurt, uh, worked on. And right next to me, there is the, the Angels starting shortstop and four-time all-star because Rick had blown his shoulder out. And the old days, you know, we, we hear a lot about rotator cuff injuries back then, and we just don't hear about those much anymore. So is your elbow, you know. That's right. But, uh, but Rick had a cannon for an arm. And uh, I remember him even saying one time in an interview, yeah, sometimes I like to wait till the guy's like right right about the, ready to touch the base, and then I fire it over there and get him out by half step. <laughs> yeah, that, I thought that was awesome. awesome. And so, yeah, I've, I've run into Rick over the years. Dozens and dozens of times. Uh, did not realize this, but he did play against my dad a lot, apparently. Uh, they got to know each other as players, and then they reconnected uh, as the chopper guys go by. They uh, reconnected um, after baseball was over, and they maintained a great friendship, and they play golf all the time. And uh, and so it's, we're, we're really excited to have you know a four-time All-Star uh, on the show today to talk about what it's like to be an All-Star. Um, and he was also a long-time uh, manager after baseball so he coached and managed in the minors i think he coached in the big leagues for a little bit as well so he's one of those yeah, lifer guys did. yeah he's one of those lifer guys i think he's 68 now and he's now retired i think for the last year or so um but he's had just an awesome run and by the way he's still in great shape i think he could still play third on uh, any 50 and over team no problem uh probably 40 and over with uh uh but anyway, it'll be fun to have him on, um, and and the and the, the players that he played with and against, you know, are just, you know, a list of legends. You know, over the years, you think about him playing against uh, the big red machine in the, I believe they played in the World Series against each other, um, playing against, you know, the Yankees back then, playing against, um, you know, some of these, um, you know, uh, I, I imagine even Jim Bowden who passed away this past week. So, you know, there's a, it's interesting when you, the older you go back and talk to guys, the more they've rubbed elbows with some people that we just, you know, consider at the top level of, of, uh, legendary status in the world of baseball, you know? Yes, that's right. So, yeah, there was for great, me, it was, I'm sorry, go ahead. There was a great quote from Bill Lee, uh, about Burleson talking about his intensity and, and competitiveness. Uh, the quote was, some guys didn't like to lose, but Rick got angry even if the score was tied. Right, and that's and that's how I remember him. Um, I later, I you know, I mentioned later I had become a bat boy, you know, when I was a teenager uh, for the Angels, and Burleson was still there. Um, and again, he was hurt a lot because Dick Schofield started playing more shortstop uh, at that time. But um, same idea. I mean, I would see him in the training room. I would see him, you know, competing just to get back on the field. Uh, and those are very, you know, those are memories that inspired me as a youngster when I'm thinking, you know. Oh, these guys just wake up and throw their talent on the field, and then you know, no, they don't. They they work their asses off every single day before the game, and people just think they show up at seven o'clock for the seven ten game and start playing, you know. And it's yeah. it's not even close. Um, and that I think was one of the uh, unique 
things that remember we spoke with Derek May, whose dad uh, uh, Dave played, um, you know, many years in the majors, and Derek watched how hard his dad used to work to just, you know, make you know, stay stay in the big leagues, you know, let alone get right. there, right? Um, so right. those are things that uh, you know that I feel very fortunate to have been able to to get through and and. You know, even when I thought I was working my ass off, my dad would be like, you know, there's some kid across town working twice as hard as you. And I'd be like, you're right. Okay, let me go back out there and, you know, and do that. Yeah. So, yeah. So, Rick should be coming on in about five minutes. Looking forward to this one for sure. Um, how, I'll, I'll tell you real quick my little all-star story. And you may not know this, Eric, but they, they've always they, – they used to have like – like you were the all-star and I was the all-star of the Cal League, right? And so what they would do is, like, the North guys would play the South guys of the Cal League, and, and that was just the Cal League guys, right? Well, um, when they got to double A, when my, my first year in double A was the first year they basically did a major league all-star game where, like, it was the American League teams in double A against the National League teams of the, in the double A, right? And um, so it was obviously much harder to make the team because it, it was all three of the – of the of the double A leagues combined for this All Star game, yeah. and um, and so uh, Brett Boone was was on my team in Jacksonville, and we made the team along with Jeff Nelson, the the eventual closer for or not closer but setup guy for Mariano Rivera, and and later closer for the Mariners, uh, and then Roger Salkeld, who was one of the top picks, maybe the first pick in the draft um, a few years before that. Um, so it was kind of cool. All four of us were, were well, three of us were starters, and then Nelly closed the game. Um, but like John Jaha was in the game. Um, Jeremy, what was it? Jeremy, uh, Jeremy uh, Burnett. Burnett was in that game. He, he went off that day too. Um, Jaha won the home run hitting contest. He, he must have hit 25. But we were in uh, Huntsville, Alabama for this one. Uh, Turk Wendell was pitching. Uh, I got I faced this guy named Mo Sanford. He pitched for a while with the Reds. Um, it was a quite it was a quite a lot of fun. We had a, all the pomp and circumstance that you know that you would ever see in the minors. So that's one of the questions that I had with for Rick was, you know, how much, you know, how, how, what kind of, uh, you know, what kind of glamour and glitz and all that stuff was going on in the majors, you know, in those years when he was there. Because now it's it's over the top, right? I mean, now it's, it's way over the top. It's, I mean, it, what is it? It's like it's like a four day thing now. It used to be two days, and um, or three days maybe. I think it's four or five now. Um, yeah, it's you know, like have, it's that whole middle of the week, Monday through Friday this week. Yeah, and then they do some stuff on Sunday even. Like they have like a futures game uh on Sunday. And oh, that's um right. yeah, and they even have a deal where it's like the Team USA like guys they play and um one of my Facebook friends their kid made the team and um and so he played on like Saturday or Sunday at Cleveland and then he got all the tickets for the home run derby and the tickets to the game and all that stuff because he had made that team. It was pretty cool. But again, that was it's nothing like what it was, even when you know the Dodgers had that 1980s thing. I was right there. I was in the clubhouse, and the duck. It was, it was like a regular game, really. It wasn't It wasn't all hyped out like it is now, you know. That's right. I so. was covering that game as a journalist. I was a young reporter covering that game, and uh, I remember the day before the All Star game, there was a luncheon and a lot of guys speaking and things like that. But it's not all the events they have now. Right. Uh, it was you know, two days. Was it? All right, I think we just got the little ding. Is that you, Rick? This is Rick. How you doing? I'm all right. I'm all right. This is Jim Campanis Jr. And uh, we got my friend Eric Lenneberg on here as well, my co-host. Hi, Rick. How you doing? Outstanding. 
Good, good, buddy. How are you? Real great. Thank you. So uh, Eric played over at Arizona State, and uh, and um, and so he was a baseball insider, and and uh, he got to you know play ball at a high level, and then he went into the front office, kind of like doing announcing and uh, media stuff, and and uh, so anyway, we like to do this show where we normally would just talk baseball while I was driving home from work. Um, and then I'm, he said, Hey, why don't we invite a guest on? And that's why the show is called driving him in. Cause I'm driving home from work right now, Rick. That's how we, <laughs> we got this. So, so anyway, uh, I thought of you for this week because you were a four-time all-star and here we are in the uh, week of the all-star game. Uh, first of all, did you get a chance to watch the all-star game this week? I did. Yeah, it was a good one. It was a good one. Yeah. So what'd you think? First of all, um, uh, what, I, I, this was the question because Eric and I have, I was actually at, uh, a, you know, one all-star game, the one at Dodger Stadium in, in 1980. Um, and, and uh, we were, we were kind of like both there and we both kind of, and I was a young person at the time, Eric's a little bit older than I am, and Eric was working. And man, the the pomp and circumstance of that game compared to, to just what I saw on TV, you know, so how was it when you were an all-star? Was it a big hoopla thing? Was it, all these banquets and, and all these fan things and all this, you know, uh, stuff, or was it just kind of, you show up, put, put your uniform on and play the game? No, there was a lot of time that you had to spend doing things and they had a big luncheon paid luncheon for, you know, people in a big hall somewhere. And, um, yeah, there was thing, you know, things you had to show up for and yeah, it was a, it was a big deal. And, um, you know, a lot of media time and things like that, for sure. Um, I missed the 1981. Uh, in fact, uh, my first one, as you know, was 77 right? and 78, 79. And then I missed 80 and 81 uh, was at Cleveland. And uh, I remember them all. Uh, I was thinking about them all today. Uh, I went in and, you know, you get, a, you get an all-star ring for each one of those uh, all-star teams you're picked for. And I was looking at those and I don't I don't wear them, but uh, I got them in a little case, and I was checking cool. those out. But yeah, it was. Uh, I would have liked to have been in the one. I forgot where eighty was, and and you know, of course, I I'm from Southern California, so I would have loved to have played in that one to have yeah. friends and family, you know, be able to watch me. But uh, it didn't. I didn't get uh, selected that year, and I was kind of bummed out. I'm sure, but uh, I'm sure I had a nice three or four days off too at the time. Yeah, well, and I was actually telling Eric that, you know, I was a spoiled brat. My grandpa was the GM of the Dodgers, right? And my dad was a former right. player. And so at that game, I was about I was about 12 years old when that game happened. And we were not allowed to sit in my grandpa's box because Major League Baseball takes over, you know, the press box area where the where his box was. Right. So right. for the first time <laughs> in my life, I sat in a seat in, in, the, in the stadium. And I was so excited <laughs> to sit in the seat. It was awesome, you know. And Ken Griffey sure. Sr. Uh, hit a home run, and, and, and Sr. became a teenage of mine, you know, like 10 years after that. Uh, Sr. is now my teammate. And it was right. just a thrill to, to be able to, you know, I, I, would, I told that story to him, and he cracked up. And he was a very, he was very, very good to me as a, 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 a teammate, and then he became a coach later. But I, I remember that. Of all the great things he did in his whole career, I'm like, man, that 1980 game was my most impressed, you know, part, because I was right fourth row up you know watching that game what was your of your all your all-star games what was like your can you like pinpoint one particular moment where you're where that like kind, kind of moment stood out whether you made a great play or you drove in a run or you got a key hit or something like that 
Well, let, let's not get let's not talk too much offense because <laughs> you know I I had heard I had heard uh, the other night that uh, Charlie Blackman was 0 for 8, and then he hit a home run. That. And I thought yeah. I thought you know what I, I never got a hit in an All Star game, and I, uh, I I thought I just needed to make a couple more. Maybe I would have done something like Charlie did, but no, I I uh, my first game 77. It was it was a big deal because you know it was at Yankee Stadium and for being a Red Sox, oh, of course. Uh, for you know three years leading up to that uh, and uh, having having beaten them out in '75 uh, uh, in the pennant race and 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 the Orioles, uh, you know, going into '77 uh, and getting picked by the fans that year it was it it was a big deal i remember my dad yeah. flew out from california and my wife was there and and uh i remember how hot it was in new york uh walking around downtown back then we uh players dressed up in the 70s for whatever reason i don't know but we wore three-piece suits and stuff like that and i remember just you know pitting that thing out walking around downtown and how <laughs> I want to just get back and take a shower after you walked around downtown for a while. But it was a big deal because Yankee Stadium had a way of getting so loud. Uh, you probably remember that, too, uh, in your days playing there. Um, and being being uh, on the field for the start of the game because I was, you know, picked by the fans, so I got to start, uh, whereas the other three games I, I was a backup player. But this one, that's why that one meant so much to me. I remember okay. both at-bats. Uh, first one was off Don Sutton of the Dodgers. And I hit what I thought had a ball, had a chance to get out of dead center. And, and you, know, I, you know, I was 5'10", 160 pounds. And, uh, of course, it came up short. But, I mean, I got all of it, and it didn't go. <laughs> so I was a little bummed. But, uh, and then well, that's uh, guy the focus center, guy, though. Yeah, that's what I mean. It, wrong ballpark to do that. I was thinking right. if that was Fenway, it, it might have had a chance. Uh, but uh, the next at bat was off of a uh, a guy from the Giants who was a nasty lefty named Gary Laval. Gary Laval, and uh, I hit a, a grounder over the mound. And somebody got a made a force play at second, and the inning was over. Something like that. But uh, yeah, that was a big game. We we ended up we ended up losing that game. Uh, I don't know exactly how that happened we in fact all four games i was involved in we never beat the national league uh and you know now it's just the other way around but uh, right. we, we never beat the national league in, in the four that i made i made them all close together 77 78 79 81 uh 78 was it was a was one that um i got hurt on the day before the all-star game in cleveland I slid into second base on a hit-and-run attempted steal, and I was going to be out by so far. I tried to hook around the tag, and uh, I, did, I uh, tore ligaments in my ankle. But at the oh. time, I thought maybe I just sprained it, and if I tape it up, you know, the flight's all set. You're leaving after the game. Half the team's going back to Boston. Uh, half the team's, uh, you know, going to uh, San Diego. So I got on the plane going to San Diego because I was an all-star. I'm thinking, I'll just have it taped up. I'll, I'll ice it all the way on the plane, tape it up. Well, by the time I got off the plane, the thing had blown up. I couldn't even hardly walk, and I was on crutches for the all-star game. So I didn't play in the 78 game. I was introduced, but that was about it in San Diego, and we lost that game. Uh, 79, the game was in Seattle. 
and again, I was a backup player, uh, all-star. And I remember I went in and uh, pinch ran and ended up, uh, somehow I ended up on third. I don't know if I scored or not, but I was on, I remember myself on third base in that game. And then I came up, I came up uh, late in the game, ninth inning, and uh, they got a guy, a star named Bruce Souter on the mound, the National League. Oh, yeah. And I remember Joe Morgan had made the statement prior to the All-Star game that uh, the National League had a distinct advantage if Souter was in the game because the American League players didn't know how nasty his split finger was. Right. And he threw from down under anyway, but he had this thing that just came in and fell right off the table. So long story short, um, he falls behind 3-0, and and I'm leading off the, the ninth inning, I believe. And, uh, of course, 3-0, and I look down, and I'm taken, and we're down a run. Or I don't, I don't even know what the score is, but uh, we're down a run. I look down, I got the take, so I take fastball right down the middle strike one so i said okay i'm gonna look for a heater maybe he'll throw me another one that was you know a pitch to hit off him because he didn't want anything any part of that splitty well he throws me a throw me over split finger that kind of comes in about waist high and drops down to my knees strike two i took it and i thought to myself i stepped out and i thought to myself well i've seen the heater and the split and if that's the split i can hit that well he threw me one that was about twice as hard, that looked like a heater, and then just dropped off the table. And I said, oh, that's the good one, as I swung over the top of it for strike three. Yeah, that so is... that was that, that was my, my appearance in that game. And then I remember 81, it was in Cleveland. And what I remember most about that is that, um, you know, Cleveland, the old stadium – held 81,000 people. Wow. Now they averaged they averaged about 7,000. So you could hear people yelling <laughs> out, "Hey Burleson, you stink," you know, in right. a regular game. But right. now it's the football crowd type stadium when when the Cleveland Browns are playing the Pittsburgh Steelers and there's 81,000 people going nuts in the stadium. And, Can't hear any and of in, 19, in 1981 <laughs> we were we were uh we went out on a 50 game strike in June. Right. I remember that. And uh our first game back in August was the All-Star game. So here we are off 50 missed 50 games. I mean, we were at the beach, Disneyland, you name it, we did it all. <laughs> and, and you know, if, if you got to the batting cages or through, you know, and, and did a little running, you were you were, you know, trying to keep up, you know, but you know, no one ever knew if it was going to end or what happened. All right. of a sudden, it's negotiated, and they said, the next game, by the way, is the All-Star game in a week from today. So it was like the teams all got back together, and you're, 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 they're working out, and, and the season's going to start, and All-Stars get ready. So here we are in Cleveland. I entered the game as a sub, 81,000 people. Somehow I got on base. It must have been another fielder's choice or something or a walk maybe i don't know but i didn't get a hit i know that i'm on first and uh the guy throws a wild pitch i don't even remember who it was and i take off for second and i get the second and i kind of round it and and i i see there's a lot of room between the back stop and the catcher still going after it so i just kept going 
you know, with, I don't know why I did it, uh, because I thought I could make it, I guess. But uh, so <laughs> the the throw comes over there. It's late. I slide in head first. And all you could hear was, it, was this, you know, the crowd just going nuts. Yeah. Because it's an American League, you know, American League guy doing something. And, and so uh, I made it to third. I don't know if I scored or they got us out or what. But uh, I do remember this, though. I'm on deck at the in the in the ni- bottom of the ninth. We're losing because Gary Carter had hit two home runs for the National League, and he was, I believe, MVP of that game. And uh, I'm on deck. Dave Winfield's the hitter, and of course Bruce Souter is on the mound. <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, you know, I I really want to hit, but I don't really want to hit off this guy. <laughs> I've seen this guy already. And uh, Winfield hit a vicious rocket, I think, right at the left fielder to end the game. And I don't – I mean, it was kind of like, oh, okay. But uh, <laughs> I, I could have made the last out had he got on. That's for sure. <laughs> we think of that. Uh, I would have probably awesome. made the last out of that game, yeah. Uh, but you but, know what? It was a lot, They were all a lot of fun. I took a lot of pride in, in being picked and, and playing well enough to get picked by the different – managers and coaches like i say i only won the balloting one time which was the 77 one but uh you know it, back then uh in 80 two guys probably made it in front of me are, are both hall of famers in robin yount and alan trammell so although i had a good year in 80 i remember uh i probably wasn't having as good a year as those guys so that's probably why i didn't get picked but uh yeah, they they we had well, some, it, we had some good shortstops back in those days, and uh, yeah. Well, the other thing too is like you know, and this is what I know as a growing up because you know the Dodgers always had a great, uh, you know, all star you know crew, and I learned well, you know, look how big Los Angeles is, and look how big their fan base is, and it's strictly the popular vote. Remember those little punch out cards, right? Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. In fact, they they were loading up the ballots in Fenway the yeah. year I won in '77 because well, they did they that thought, at Dodger Stadium because I my grandpa told me told my dad <laughs> while we were driving home from a game once that they do that. I was like, really? Oh, wow. Okay. So, but yeah, but that was and to me, you know, we were I was I do another podcast that's an Angels podcast called Halo Heat, and we were talking about sort of the new rules that have come into play from the for the All Star, you know, voting, and you know, of course, you right. vote online and you can vote 15 times and. But that's only round one because that effectively is just like, you know, uh, the ballot, like the old punch out where, you know, um, all the big fan base teams, a lot of their guys get voted in by virtue of what uniform they're wearing. You know, even if they're not even having a good year, like Mookie Betts, for example, not even having a very good year, but last year's MVP, he's a a Boston Red Sox, right? Well, then they have the secondary um, voting for who's going to be the starter, which was a little bit more... Like, you know, you couldn't be a homer as easy on that one. And so we were just talking about, I think I I actually like the new system. And then, and of course, then the manager picks uh, the reserve players, which is always going to be a homer deal. Like, like Max Muncy made it for the Dodgers, who is having a good year. But let me tell you this, if, if Dave Roberts was the manager, my guess is he would not have been chosen. But again, that's one of those things that happens in the context of this game. Um, but it, th- when you were playing, it was strictly popular vote, right? So, so when you went to the Angels, which obviously it's still in the same market as Los Angeles, you know, as, as the Dodgers, 
Um, but it's certainly uh, not as the fan base, you know, especially back at that time, it was very passionate, but it was, the numbers weren't as high as Dodger numbers. Did you, do you right, think that right. that sort of, um, did that sort of hurt your, your, your all-star ballad voting chances? Do you think in, in the, in those later years of the angels? You know, I, I don't, I don't remember because uh, I don't know how it played out. I don't remember who won the, the balloting. If I would, if I knew that, then, uh, you know, it might be easier to say, but I, I just, the fact that I was picked by the manager and the coaches to be part of the team was enough for me sure. of a reward that I thought, you know, I'm going to get in and get, you know, maybe get a couple of bats anyway. And sometimes the guys that go in, you know, uh, play more than the guys that start. Uh, right. I mean, I, I, you look at, you look at, uh, in fact, I don't know how the managers figured out who's going to come out when, because, I mean, Michael Brantley, for example, hits that big double the other day to drive in the American League's first run, and then I look up, he's out of the game. He doesn't even right. get to hit again. <laughs> right. It's like, this guy could be MVP of the game if you'd let him have a couple more at-bats. I think he you was know? the MVP, though, just because of that one at-bat. <laughs> so, isn't that crazy? Yeah, he was. Like, you're, you're, you're totally right, by the way, because that's they, they had the interviews during the game with both managers talking about what you know how difficult is it um, and then, you know, to manage the All-Stars, and both of them basically said, I just want to make sure everyone's going to get in, you know. Right, and I mean, it would right. it would really stink if you, you know, go through all of that, that all the pomp and circumstance like you you like you had to do with the luncheons and the, the banquets and the, all the photos and all the everything you got to do, and then you don't even get in, right? So that's, uh, that was an interesting, um, like, like, dynamic that I saw both managers dealing with, um, and I, I can't imagine that's fun. I, I think that's probably the worst uh, part of the whole deal there. For sure. So. And, and you know, they were saying, well, Mookie would have batted in the bottom of the ninth had they had to hit, which is true. But, uh, he you know, he didn't – he got in on defense, I guess, and that was it. But he didn't right. run at that. Right. Uh, but, um, you know, it's – for the most part, uh, like, like the Red Sox manager, on his behalf, he didn't pick uh, – Raphael Devers and Devers is having a, an all-star year. He could have, sure. you know, he could have easily been at the game. You, you, the fact that you have to take somebody from every team and, and then other teams, you know, have six or seven guys sometimes that that's, you, you got to wonder, you know, where do you draw the line? And, and cause you've really only played 90 games and you, that's why sometimes a guy like Devers who is having his best year and, ha- and didn't have that kind of year last year, didn't wasn't probably recognized in a lot of people's minds as a true all-star as of yet. I mean, he's proving it, but uh, maybe next year will be different if he gets off, you know, keeps going like he's going. But, um, right. you know, there's always a, there's always a case where somebody gets left out that should have made it. And, and, the, and the press usually says something about it and, and they'll say, here's the five guys that got met, you know, lost out that should have made it or, and, both leagues usually have about that many and you can make a case, you know, for all those guys. And, um, right. But, uh, I'm just, you know, I was, I was glad that, uh, in my career, I would have liked to have made it, you know, a couple more times, but after, uh, after the 81 season, I went into 82 and I was, it was just the second year of, of a six year contract with the angels. And in the 10th game of that season, I blew out my shoulder and, uh, yep. had to have a uh, major rotator cuff surgery and that, kind of derailed my career for a long time you know that's actually where i met you for the first time that i recall 
I guess you and my dad played against each other when I was like a bat boy on the field uh, when you were in Pawtucket, and you had uh, well, a couple of youngsters on your team that year, uh, Jim Rice and Fred Lynn, that kind of turned your team around. I think you might have got <laughs> called up, though, I think. Uh, well, I'm just looking here, at the here's, numbers. Here's how I met your dad. I, in fact, I wanted to talk to you about this today. Uh, we we both made an all-star team in double-A together. Oh, he was okay. at uh, Sherbrooke, Canada. Sherbrooke. Yeah, I learned how to ride yeah. a bike there. <laughs> and uh and I was at Pawtucket, which at that time was double A in nineteen seventy two. Okay. So we we were at the All Star game and it, we're sitting in the locker room, this small little locker room and, and he was his locker was right next to mine. So we talked and and that's the first time I met him and of course I, I admired playing against him and all that, uh during the season because uh, that he your dad could hit, man. He he was a dead pull hitter and he could oh. just smoke the ball yeah uh and a good catcher uh so anyway uh we became friends and of course now you know we we golf still together and and we run into each other all the time and and i, I consider him one of my favorite people in, in this whole earth so that's awesome. um well it's yeah funny. and it's, it, i was just going to tell you but it's I, funny because oh go ahead go you finish please well no i was just going to say that yeah, in 73, which was the next year, Pawtucket became AAA. And that's uh, Rice and Lynn were starting the season at AA that year. And I was, I was at AAA. So I played almost the entire AAA season while they were in AA. And then they came up for the end of that AAA season in 73 and helped us win the AAA championship. Uh of the East, be, of and, the uh, International League, and beat and the Charleston Charlies, I believe. We beat the Charleston Charlies and the Tidewater Tides, yeah. and then went on and beat the Tulsa Cardinals to win the AAA championship. And back then, it wasn't just a one-game playoff like it is now. We played a best-of-seven series, and, and they won Game One, and we won the next four. And they had some good players on that Cardinal team, I'll tell you. Uh, but anyway, that's when Rice and Lynn, you know, started the very next year, they were, you know, they, they both played a little bit of AAA, but then they were they were up real quick. And uh, Well, they made an impact right away. And I remember I, we were – this was the, one of the only road trips that it, they, I was allowed to go on. And we split – like, I think we flew to Waterbury or something first and then drove a bus to Pawtucket or something like that and then drove – I can't remember, but there was there were bus trips involved in this. And I remember how everybody was so happy after the Waterbury um, series. And then we went to Pawtucket. And my dad literally said, all we got to do is beat these guys once or twice or something and we'll lock up the, the league championship. Um, and that's when Bryce and um, Lynn were called up. And those two guys put on a show. And I, you must have been out there. Uh, but I remember being a bat boy and watching those two guys. And I even said to myself, I remembered Fred Lynn because – um, we were friends with Rod Dado, the USC coach, and I ended up being sure. going there. So I knew right. who Fred Lynn was from USC, but this guy Jim Rice, I, I saw he had three home runs in one game. I never saw anybody do that before, and I'm like, I'm gonna remember his name. It's easy, Rice. Just remember Rice. And I kept telling myself, remember Rice, Rice. And sure enough, boom, he's you know he became a superstar. But I remember my dad as we were driving home on the bus. You know, he whispered me, "Don't say a thing this whole ride home." I said, "Okay, okay." So we get on the bus. <laughs> And of course, I shut up and I sit in my seat and I got my head down and 
by the end of that trip, of course, you know, back in the 70s, guys smoked everywhere, right? So this whole bus was filled with smoke. This whole bus was filled with beer cans that so many that they, they, they were, they were, they were over the aisles. We had to walk on the armrest, you know, to go to the bathroom in the back, you know, and, sure. uh, this, and, and this is just a, a pissed off group of guys on a five hour bus ride. <laughs> and I, I, <laughs> as I grew up and became the pissed off guy on the bus, uh, I totally related to that, but that was my first real experience on sort of the hyper competitive drive that it takes uh, and is needed to get there. And you've always been known as a fireball uh, kind of a guy. And in fact, uh, Eric, what was that quote that you, you, you mentioned to me before the show? Yeah, that was a quote from Bill Lee saying, uh, some guys get angry when we lose, but Rick was angry even if we got, were tied in the game or something. something right. like that. <laughs> yeah, that, that's right. something that, that the spaceman would say, no question. Uh, Another but, USC you know, he was right a, there. <laughs> he was a joy to play with because it, Bill Lee was a tremendous competitor as well. And although talent-wise, he never threw – probably a fastball over 86 miles an hour, if I had to guess. He could throw a sinking fastball, and he could cut a ball into a righty. Yep. And he, I, whenever I played behind him at short, I must have got seven, eight ground balls a game. He could throw that sinker, and they'd go to turn on it, and it'd run away from their bat, and they'd just roll over it. And the next thing I knew, I had a ground ball. And uh, he was a tremendous competitor, and... Um, I, I love playing behind Bill Lee. He's one of the only pitchers, one of the only in all, you know, I, I had 5,000 at-bats in the big leagues, so played, you know, 1,400 games. One of the only pitchers I played behind that looked to pick a guy off second. He wanted really? to pick a guy off second. If a guy hit a double leading off an inning or something, there's a good chance we might pick that guy off if he got a little bit gay out there on the bases. Huh. And, uh, yeah, he was. Uh, it's uh, it was just un unbelievable the the ability he had, and I would just I had this thing where he would look back at me at some time after he got the ball from the catcher, and if I pointed my finger to my eye like keep an eye on me, he would give me that second look every once in a while, and he'd just kind of hold it and turn his head a couple back and forth, and I would he'd see me go, and sure enough, we'd pick somebody. Nice. He was like a daylight play. I mean, oh yeah, definitely daylight. Okay. It was never a timing. It was always daylight, and he would he would look for me to make my break. If he saw me back up, he went ahead and made the pitch. But if I was there and and the guy was inching, and I thought, okay, he's got too much, we can get him. Boom, we would go. And I can't tell you how many guys he picked off. It, it was a joy to play behind him because I was in every game he ever pitched in, I would get. Just ball after ball hit to me, and it was he was amazing. Well, the best pitchers, you know, they realize that you know even when they make a mistake, they can fix that mistake uh, with a pickoff. And you know, they old the old uh, first and third move, which is now a, a balk. I had a number of buddies of mine that, I mean, I swear they they got the guy out forty percent of the time. They got one of the runners out just doing that first and third move, which is so it's so great when you're the catcher. Now all the pressure's off because you either got the guy on third, or you now you don't have to worry about the guy stealing and the whole first and third rundown crap, you know. So, I, I mean, that to me has always been, you know, uh, a, a, a kind of a lost art. And, by the way, earlier in the in the show you mentioned um, you, you, you slid on a hit and run, and I was wondering maybe you should describe what that means to our younger listeners because they probably – a lot of them probably never even seen it before on TV. 
a hit and run. I mean, some of this stuff is just gone. What do you think about the changes of, I mean, it's first well, and second. You know, I mean, like I, I saw this the other day. It's first and second. Uh, you know, you're down by a run, and the guy hits into a double play. Like, like, like we everybody else would have bunted. You know, that's a perfect opportunity to bunt. Even if you're a decent hitter, you know, you still are in a double play situation, and you need to score that run late in the game. I mean, what are your thoughts on you? You, you know, you coached and managed after you played. So, did you sort of start to see the game turn while you were? like go more to this analytic thing while you were, um, as your sort of coaching career developed? You know what? Not so much in my time. My last year was 2012. Uh, My last five year or four years, I was at Reno as the hitting guy for the Diamondbacks and Brett Butler was the manager. And I didn't see it at that much. He would, you know, he would bunt if needed and he, he would hit and run once in a while, but, because the ball kind of flew pretty well in Reno, yeah. as it does in several of the uh, high elevation Pacific Coast yeah. League towns. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know they hit a lot of home runs and drove the ball quite a bit. But uh, you know the games change, and I read an article the other day, and it makes so much sense. Uh, you know, in my time, it was about you know batting average, obviously getting on base, but batting average and walks and batting average meant a lot. And uh, now it's about on-base percentage and slugging. So the slugging is the important thing, and that's why they talk about launch angle and driving the ball. And and, uh, and then it was mentioned that how somebody was watching a game back in 78, uh, Red, Red Sox-Yankee playoff game or something, and how skinny the guys all were. Well, they're bigger now, too. The athletes, yeah. the ball players are bigger and thicker and stronger and you know, uh, I thought they juiced the ball in 87, and here it is, what, 2019. So there's been a lot of time, a lot of home runs hit, if you look back from 1987 to now. And uh, I just think it just, the game, that's what the game's all about, is the long ball and and lifting it. And, you know, I, I coached guys that uh, on the A's in 91 when I was with the Oakland with McGuire and Conseco and those guys, and they talked about lift and separate at the time, but it was kind of like a fun thing, you know, for them. They just naturally hit a lot of bombs, but they, Conseco could hit for average too. I mean, he was just a great right. hitter in his right. prime. And Dave Henderson and Harold Baines and uh, Ricky Anderson, those guys, yep. Yep. those guys, those guys all hit for average and you know, gap to gap, and and would hit a you know home run here and there. Uh, but it wasn't it wasn't like the main thing to do like it is now for a lot of these teams and so the hit and run is is not something you see very often uh, but it's it's a play where you're not really trying to steal the base as you know you let the pitcher you know uh, a lot of times it's a guy that is in the strike zone a lot not not a flamethrower throwing up and out of the zone where you're going to have to impossible to put the ball in play. But somebody that's throwing sinkers or something in the zone where you, there's a big chance of getting a ground ball anyway, and you're trying to stay out of the double play, so you start that runner at first. And a lot of times when someone breaks to cover, he creates a hole, and if the hitter happens to hit it at the second baseman who's covering or at the shortstop who might be covering, hit it in that hole, then you got a first and third situation, and you can really have a big inning. Right. In my era, that was that was something that, you know, if you had the ability to do that, you know, 
certain guys at the top of the lineup, you know, for example, Jerry Remy or myself or somebody with the Red Sox, you know, you would do it. You wouldn't hit and run with a Jim Rice or a Fred Lynn or a Yaz or a George Scott or a Carlton Fisk, but, but you would with somebody that was, you know, considered a setup, you know, a setup right. guy, get on base for the big bombers. And um, so, yeah, it is because a lot of times now in the lineup, big bombers are hitting at the top. I mean, you look at Yelich and leading off and, and Trout always hitting second. Those guys can bomb the ball. You're not going to ask them to hit and run. That's no, I, 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 I totally. And that's, that's what I've just kind of watched, you know, and of course, why do you bet, you know, Trout second instead of third? Well, over the course of the year, he's going to have something like 60 more at-bats or something, uh, you know, and you want to have your best hitter having the most at-bats. I, I understand all of these things. Eric and I, you know, we've we've had several guests on the show, um, major leaguers like yourself. Um, you know, we have Hall of Fame uh, college coaches who have a totally different thought, uh, and, of course, they have different players, you know. So we had Coach Mike Gillespie, my former coach from USC. He also went on to UCI, and he's a Hall of Fame NCAA coach. Um, and he's gone as far as, you know, say that there should be, you know, in college, you know, even different stats because of how the college game is played. Um, so this, some of our shows have been really interesting. And I, I, I'm really interested to hear, you know, your, your points of view too, Rick. But um, I know Rick, uh, uh, Eric, rather, rather, my co-host Eric, um, who's also known as Rick to some people, by the way. So, yeah. so Eric, uh, we, we had a question about, um, about Mr. Mr. Burleson's uh, nickname. Can you, uh, can you speak to that? Yeah, we were sure. Now you got the nickname the Rooster. <laughs> well, I think Don Zimmer was the one that tabbed me tabbed me with that nickname, and it was early in '74. Uh, he was the third base coach at the time, my rookie year, and uh, Daryl Johnson was the manager. And Zim used to pound me ground balls every day, and uh, just one day he was watching me and. I finished up and I was kind of standing on the grass behind shortstop and took my hat off and my hair must have been standing straight up or something. <laughs> and he said, look at that little guy. He looks like a little rooster out there. <laughs> and that was basically uh, also because of my te- my temperament, uh, sure. mostly my temperament, and how, how a rooster is considered a, like a feisty fighter type uh, of an animal that, uh, you know, uh, not doesn't back down type of thing. And, that was kind of my uh, what people thought of me, just a, a gamer type guy that's going to battle right. to the end, always playing hard, always hustling. And I mean, I was told one time, you know, it doesn't take talent to run hard. Everybody can do it, but they, not everybody does. And uh, when you, when you make a play close or you beat out a play that you you see other guys jogging down the line if they hit a two hopper to second or short or whatever. And, you know, uh, it says something about the guy just never giving in and, and never giving an inch. And um, that's kind of the way that and the fact that I took a lot of pride in being an everyday player. I, I looked at something the other day where it said at one point I averaged over 150 games a year for like six or seven straight years. And that's kind of how I thought of it in that, hey, I might not get a hit tonight to help, but I can make a play in the field or I can do a base right. running thing. It's going to help the team win. And, and, you know, I didn't, I wasn't a superstar like guys were talking about Trouts and Mookie Betts and those guys or Fred Lins. Uh, but I, I was a guy that somebody wanted on their team that was going to help them win and be a part of it. And 
So, I mean, that that was the ability that I had. And I didn't have the ability to hit 30 home runs. You know, the most I ever hit in one season was like eight. I only hit 50 in the majors. So, uh, you know, that, that wasn't who I was. And the, the fact that I was recognized four times to be an all-star, you know, that, that, that says something about who the manager wants on his team to try to win that game. That's exactly right. Well, and I, it's funny because when I called my dad, I, we, he just happened to call me for something else, and I said, "Dad, I, I got to get an all star." And he's like, "You got to talk to the rooster." I go, "Oh, of course." What's his name? So he texted me your number, and and when he texted it to me, you know, how it shows up in the little Apple like 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 contact thing, and said, "Rooster, just rooster. That's all. Just just rooster." <laughs> so, <laughs> so so anyway, but uh, you know that's so that, and I I think that that's uh, you know. Um, your your insight to, to what the All Star experience has been for you, um, I think is 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 awesome. And, and I mean, can you imagine? Um, and I just know this because of the temperament of my dad and all the players that, and even yourself and, and guys from your generation. Just you know, you guys were were you know, I, you used the word gamer, and I th- I still think these young guys are gamers, but in a, in a sort of a different way. Where you know, you were a gamer because you would slide in and tear up a, a guy on a double play. Um, and now, you know, a gamer is a guy that can c- clutch up and hit a base hit or a, or a game-winning home run at the end of the game, and it's just a different thing. Like, like, like how how do you think you would have been able to handle today and sort of like the slide straight into the base? You know, I, I got I was actually in a position where I, I had a chance to get sort of back onto the forty-man roster. I was having a good year. And a guy ran me over at the plate and, and separated my throwing arm, and I couldn't throw really for the next three or four months in a critical year in my in my development. And now that now that's illegal, well, except for the other day when Luke Roy got pounded, but that guy got a two day suspension, right? The runner. Um, right. How, how how do you think you would have fared in these in the new rules that are going on? I know you would have loved it as a middle infielder, but like, what about you as a runner? Like, how would that have changed your game a little bit? Yeah, you know, in in my era, uh, in fact, it, I remember the guys that were really fast, like uh, Al Bumbry and Don Baylor and Kirk Gibson. Uh, guy, guys would come in and actually do a rolling body block on you right. if they could if they could get to you. And the only way that happens usually is if they broke on the pitch, and all of a sudden you're still trying to turn a double play on a hard hit ball, but now they're right on top of you they could just wipe you out and knock you into left field. So uh, the the way the way you control that as a shortstop or a second baseman was you would bring the gas from down under. And those guys had to get down at some point. If they didn't, they're going to catch one between the eyes. And you didn't care because you had to protect yourself. Right. Um, how I would handle it today, I, I would probably have to play by the rules and just slide straight into the bag and get down early and, and know that, you know, hey, you're out. You know, basically right. you're going to be out. Um, you, you, you can't really uh, – you know, I wasn't big enough to really run over a lot of catchers. I did I did try to a couple times, and usually I was the one that took took the brunt of it. Um, but there there's a, there's a play – I think it's still uh, – it should still be allowed if it's if – the, if the guy is not – um, standing there with no chance. In other words, if he's in a vulnerable position, then it should be illegal. I, I agree with the Buster Posey thing. I don't think 
I mean, Carlton Fisk got crushed at home plate with his foot in front of the base in a game in Cleveland in 1975, I believe it was, or six. And I forget what year it was, but he missed most of the year, and he was able to still come back the following year, I think when we were in the World Series. So he missed the most of the in the 74. Um, he got run over by a big guy named Laron Lee with Cleveland. He weighed 220-some pounds at the time and crushed his knee, and they said they may never be able to – he may never play again. So he came back from that and, and did play and had and played another 18 or 19 years in the Hall of Famer. So – yeah, he did come back from it. But, uh, you know, where do you draw the line? I mean, I, I saw the play the other night where LaCroix got ran over, and Marcinek actually was going to go to the inside, made the step to go to the inside, and that's where LaCroix ended up. Right. LaCroix was, was somewhere else at the, when the throw was coming in, and Marcinek had to make a decision, where am I going to go? And it's almost like, he got in the runner's way. I, I can't yeah. blame him. He ended up hitting him, and it looks like he ran him over. But he, if you watch that closely, you can see he goes, he changes his direction at the exactly. last split second to try to go to the inside. And it's like they both did what they were supposed to do, and they and the right. end they collided anyway. Yeah, and and it's the fact that the runner's helmet was still on when the catcher's mask is flying flew off as the contact was made, you know, that's going to cause that cut concussion right. and, and, uh, you know, whatever else was done to him. Uh, but you know, that's a, for him to get suspended two games for that. I, I find that one a difficult one to, I, I think if it's very blatant with the way the rules are now, if it's very blatant, yeah. Suspend a guy two, three days, whatever it takes to make him realize you can't do that. Especially if a guy gets hurt, um, but uh, that one was a tough one for me to swallow for that guy taking that suspension, even though you hate to see a catcher get hurt like that. Right. Yeah, and that's, you know, again, I must have got blasted, you know, 20 times in, in a in a, my short eight-year career, and um, sometimes, you know, you're actually in a position where you can be the hammer and, and that guy's the nail, and then other times, like I did, the time I got my shoulder separated, I didn't see the runner. I just went to the sort of the first base side and like a, like a first base and I picked the ball. And before I could even get my eyes around, this dude lit me up and knocked me out of the dirt circle. I held onto the ball, but as soon as he hit me, I heard a pop in my shoulder and I just absolutely knew, okay, that, that can't be good, you know? And just like, oh, with I know. Fisk, you know, that, that injury could have been, um, you know, that injury that Fisk, you know, had never would have happened if we were using those rules back then. And for example, and I would have had that injury, uh, in the same manner, you know, and it's it's just funny because we were taught basically, you know, block home plate before you get the ball. And so I, I right. was doing everything I was taught. The runner was doing everything he was taught. And, uh, you know, so th- these are some of the things that, you know, they just now came out with the Atlantic League, um, you know, which is an independent league who's doing all these experimentations um, for Major League Baseball. And they're going to, like, they just now for the All-Star game, I don't know if you heard this, but they put the electronic ump in. Uh, right. One little one little thing they didn't realize is that if you bounce the ball up to the plate like a like a curve like a fifty foot curve, and mm-hmm. on the bounce on the bounce it comes in as a strike, the machine will register it as a strike <laughs> even though it bounced. So they're yeah, that's, still working. That's out. why they have to. Yeah, it's they have, they have it's to just have a trial. Yeah, 
Exactly. And you know what? They're taking to even to do this. I think it's just really uh, a slap in the face of the umpires personally. Uh, they, you know, they're 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 doing they're doing a job too that is needed for baseball. And there's always been umpires, and now you're, you, it's like you're almost going a little too far to, to try to do something. Even, even when you look at the box that they show on home plate on these major league games, uh, the balls in the box are on the line, and they don't call it a strike, or, they, or sometimes it's out of the line, and they do call it a strike. So what is the box really doing um, other than showing you, oh, he missed it, or, or that should have been a strike? So now they're just they're saying, you know, basically – this is what they they got to go by, uh, you know. I I liked the old way where a guy is a low ball umpire. He establishes that knee high strike. He calls it the whole game. He he calls one corner a strike. He calls two inches inside, let's say a, a ball the whole day, and and then all of a sudden in the ninth inning, three inches inside's a strike. No, he missed that one. You know, um, <clears throat> I I when like the fact American that you League. have to learn the umpires. Yeah, you have to learn the umpires. League. Yeah, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, you were in the American League your whole career, and back then those guys were wearing that pad. Um, do you think that that affected the strike zone in the American League versus the National League? It did at the time, yeah, until they all got out of it. And it, and it wasn't the entire uh, 70s that they did that. But into the into the late 70s, they, they most of them still had that bubble that they used. And uh, the American League was considered more of a high ball league right. compared right. to the yeah. National League. Um, but now, you know, there's no American or National League umpires. There's no American or National League baseball, which there was when I played. It's just a Major League Baseball, and they're just Major League umpires. And I think it's the greatest thing that they did, make the ball one ball, make make the umpires go to all 30 cities, their crews, and they're going to have more fun rather than being stuck in the same division for 80 games or something that sometimes it happened, you know, and you're sick of seeing the same umpires uh, because, you know, they, they try to have them not travel so far. They would keep them in, let's say the West coast crew, you know, crew would be in one or three cities all the time. And you're going, we just had these guys in Oakland. Now they're in Seattle. Now they are in Anaheim. You know, you get, that gets old. And, and, but the fact that they have, umpires that do all of major league baseball now uh, they have to go to all the different ballparks i think that's the best thing that ever happened uh to the game and and now they don't have the bubble thing anymore they're all pretty much figured out what's a strike zone the knees to the you know bottom of the armpit is a strike and whether they always call that high one a strike i don't know you know it doesn't seem like it but at least they're a lot better consistent wise uh with the knee strike and 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 inside and outside yep so by the way one of the uh one of the reasons that i was a fan of yours um growing up was a couple reasons i loved watching you play and and this is going back to boston which you know we were lucky you know growing up in la because we could watch angel games and see back then you know american league players and then we could watch dodger games and see national league players um and and then we had the game of the week, and oftentimes, you know, Boston was a, a big time team back when you were playing with them, and and so we got to see you, uh, you know, on those games of the week too. Um, first of all, I love number seven because I was always wearing number seven. That was my favorite number. It was my grandpa Al's number, and my dad's twenty five uh, was a byproduct of two plus five is seven. 
So we were always, you know, so I, I always had a big, uh, big fan of that. But I remember watching, it was either like that, that Mel Allen, like, like here, like the, the show that he used to do. It was something, right, right. but they, but you did an interview where you talked about, um, you like to catch a ground ball and hold on to it for a little second or so and watch the guy run as hard as he can. And then you just gunned it over there and got him by a half a step when you could have got him out by six feet. Um, tell me a little bit about like your arm because your arm is 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 sort of stuff of legends, uh, especially you know during the, the the prior to the angel time where I know that you you know you had a little bit of an issue. Tell me about you know what you how you sort of thought playing shortstop with that arm of yours. Well, you know what it was the the one God given talent that I had. Uh, you know I can't I didn't. I mean I, it was always with me. But from the time I played little league at eight years old, I had a good arm. By the time I was 10, 11, 12, I could throw harder than anybody, you know, that I knew of. And then uh, it just got better and better as I got older. And and the and one of the reasons I didn't pitch uh, in high school, uh, and then you know, in moving forward, was because I threw the the breaking balls incorrectly, and I my elbow would always hurt uh, mm. after if I did it if I did threw it too much. And, uh, so I said, you know what, I just need to stay in one place and play short. And so that's what I did. And, and, uh, there was enough good players that could pitch. And so, uh, I was a shortstop and, but I did have a good arm and, uh, until I heard it. And, you know, I look back and I, I used to have the attitude, you know, that I, I practiced the way I, I played the game. And so if I tried to just like lob a ball from short, if I knew there was a real slow runner, for example, like your dad, let's say, <laughs> would hit me a, a one-hop bullet in the hole, I could take all day, you know, and get him because he wasn't a runner. He was a big guy, catcher. And But whenever I would lob the ball across the diamond, it would either bounce or sail on me. Mm. I had to throw the ball hard. And that's it's not something that I was ever able to like developed to where I could just, you know, kind of half-ass it over there and get the guy out. You see guys flipping the ball all around the ballpark, and I just, that wasn't the way I, I I could do it. I had to fire it over there. And so maybe I would take a stepper more than the, the average guy. I had more time because I knew I, I, I was going to throw it hard. But because of the fact that the arm eventually gave out when I was 30 years old, 31 actually or, or approaching yeah i hadn't turned 31 and i blew out rotator cuff and um maybe i should have practiced a little easier and learned you know to maybe take it a little bit more easy with my throwing so that i could save a little bit for down the line you know i look back on it but you know if you second guess that then that takes no, away the type of player i was right you yeah can't, you can't so, think that way yeah, and and that's that's I'm not gonna I'm not gonna lose any sleep over that. I mean, I played the game the way I did, and you know, some admired it. Some said, you know, he, he doesn't have to throw that hard all the time or whatever. But you know what? There's, you know, we didn't even talk about two things tonight, and I wanted I wanted to to talk about two things first. You know, the first game I ever played in Fenway Park. I got called up on my birthday, April 29, 1974. I just turned 23. And I'd played four full years in the minors, 
played in Venezuela in the winter prior to that season and was sent back to AAA to start my fifth year for two weeks prior to being called up. So here it is, April 29th, 1974, and uh, I had to sit in the stands the first three days because the Red Sox didn't know what move to make to activate me. Oh, and, wow. Uh, yeah, so uh, all of a sudden, the Angels are in Boston, and Nolan Ryan's pitching, and a second baseman by the name of Doug Griffin decides he's going to try to push a bunt on Nolan Ryan, who threw 100 miles an hour. <laughs> And this guy didn't wear an ear flap. He wore just the skull helmet, just the like the coaching coaches yeah, wear. Yeah, yeah. He got hit right in the left ear oh. as he was trying to push a bunt to second base with a fastball that ran up and in. And, I mean, the next day I was activated. So my first game I played was like May 2nd, 1974. 35,000 people were playing the Texas Rangers. Ferguson Jenkins is the pitcher. Either Jim Bibby or Ferguson Jenkins. I don't remember right offhand because the next day it was the other one. I forget which one. But um, So to make a long story short, I make three errors in the first game I ever played. Oh. And two of them came on one play. The grounder bounced up on me. I picked it up and threw it past the first baseman. The guy went to second. And so I got, a, I got two errors on one play. And then we lost the game one to nothing, and uh, they had a guy on third, and a guy hits a two hopper to me that came up on me, and I and I'm you know I'm not making an excuse. Came up, ate me up. I picked it up, threw late. The run scores. We lose one nothing. So now, uh, you know, I I, I got to go back to the hotel, and my wife's there, and it was you know her first big league game and everything. I'm embarrassed all to hell. I got to face the press and all that. I go back, I watch it on on the three different TV stations they had back in those days, <laughs> which is like two, four, and seven or whatever they right, had. Right, you know, exactly. <laughs> they show every, you know, all the errors and talk and blah, blah, blah. So now I go to the ballpark, and I don't even expect to play the next day. And I get there, and I'm in the lineup. I said, okay. And um, we end up winning the game. And the funny part about it was the game's like 7-7 seven, seven in the seventh or eighth inning and it's first and second and I know as I walk up there that I'm going to be asked to bunt and I look down there and there's the bunt so I I square around the bunt and the guy throws big tall right-hander throws a high heater way up out of the zone ball one does the same thing on the next pitch I'm still bunting 1-0 does the same thing so now I look down there 2-0 the bunt is off and I'm thinking to myself, okay, I, you know, don't pop this up or whatever, you know, get a good pitch. So I said, you know what, I'm just going to fake bunt and just try to hit a bullet somewhere. So I squared around 2-0, I pull it back, throws me a high heater, and I hit a home run. All right. We win the, we win the game 10-7. <laughs> <to 7. laughs> we win the game 10-7. to 7. So the three airs got behind me pretty quick, but, you know, I I became – a much more humble person very quickly. Uh, you won gold gloves. Uh, you run gold gloves later in your career. I, I did read about that that first game, by the way. In your these, <laughs> these people that do the wikis, man, they they find every piece of trash they can find on everybody. Oh, they put yeah. it in there. Yeah, you know? I'm not going to lie about it. And, <laughs> you know what? It, the thing about it is, is it 
it's a record you don't want to have, and it right. only tied an American League record. So somebody else had done it in you know prior to me, and right. I think it was broken later on. I think some rookie came up and ended up making four errors in his first major league game, but he has the record now. I don't. I probably don't no longer. You're have off the book. You're off right. the book. I, I might be. I think that's what it is. <laughs> But you know what? If 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 a shortstop doesn't turn isn't involved in over 141 double plays by the end of next year, then that record will still be mine for for 40 years. Wow. Most most double plays turned by a shortstop in one season. So I have that going for me, and uh, you know every record's meant to be broken. It will be broken someday, but. The fact well, that, not uh, not not some. I mean, think about though the way the game's changing, and I have some records at USC, and then they change the bats on these poor players, and my right. records are never going to be broken now because they're swinging like wet noodle bats now, and we had these trampoline <laughs> bats, and I'm telling you, the game has changed so much where, I mean, we just don't see double plays happening with the same frequency because of slugging, um, and so I'm I'm curious if that if if you if well, your record not, may have a chance. It's not only it's not only because of slugging, it's because they're very adamant that they stay on the base as they catch the ball. I remember there were times oh, when the I would come flying. I would yeah. come yeah exactly the neighborhood play. I would come flying across second because here comes Thurman Munson or Reggie Jackson going to knock me into left field. And I would catch that ball, and by the time I threw it, I was like 10 feet off a second towards right, right field. And I would bring some gas across the diamond and turn the double play, and you can't do that. They'll say, oh, he's safe here. You weren't anywhere near it. And the replay and, will show uh, it, right? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you wouldn't even have to have a replay as far as I would see sometimes. So the fact that you could do that and get away with it um, – you can't anymore. So that's another reason. And and the launch angle thing where guys aren't hitting into double plays as much. And who hits a single to get on first anyway? I mean, you you know, <laughs> that's, the, uh, that's the other no, issue. No. The, I, guy, the guy at Anaheim, I think, is the guy that could break it. The Simmons. He has the strong yeah. arm, yeah. and he makes all the plays, and he gets rid of the ball so quickly that if, if he stays healthy, there's going to be a year where he's going to have a chance. He just needs and a second baseman who can get him the ball, though. That's been kind of the inconsistency for that <laughs> that team at the moment. Even even Listella, who made the All Star team, he's not the greatest second baseman I've ever seen. And and I think he would. I mean, he's a really good hitter, uh, but he's not the guy. You know, like like Abar a few years ago for the Angels was I thought an outstanding defensive second baseman. And you you put a guy like that with Simmons, and I I could see. Uh, you know your record being in jeopardy a little bit, but like not 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 yet. I think you're going to be okay this year because uh, Simmons <laughs> missed a whole bunch of games. But yeah, I think yeah, you got I know a point that's, there. that's the reason. Yeah, and you got to stay healthy. And that year you did that. I, I would imagine that many double plays. You had to have been, you know, healthy for most of the season to to get that many. Um, and by the way, isn't that? I mean, I know as a catcher that was just I called pitches to get double plays. I put fingers down against certain batters when there were runners in certain positions and the intent was to hit a ground ball and hopefully that ground ball found one of my guys and those guys did their job and then we got out of that inning or, or we, we got out of that jam, that potential jam with like a leadoff walk or something. So, uh, you know, again, this, this, this old school sort of, you know, um, playing for double plays, you know, you don't see that in as much anymore as well. Um, and I, I, I don't know. I, I don't want to sound like I'm the old timer that's not open to change and so on. 
but there are just some, so many things in baseball to me that were so so much part of our preparation, um, so much part of our um, like knowledge of the game and and sort of how to how to win uh, that that are sort of being lost. Uh, I, I, you have me, I, and again, I, Bobby Gritch, he and I were on a show, and he called me back after the show, and he said, "Hey, did I sound like an old guy talking about launch angle stuff?" And I said, no, man, I, I think you 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 were talking like you were someone who played in an era where you guys just swing, you know, the idea was swing down and the ball will go up. I remember my dad telling me that a million times when I was a kid. Well, effectively that is what the launch angle guys are doing is they're swinging down and they're just hitting the ball out in front of their front foot where we've all hit home runs, you know, on like slow breaking balls, especially, you know, right. you catch it out in front of your front foot and the you know, ball spinning the same direction it's going to spin when you hit it, you hit a bomb and you're like, wow, you know, and all of that is a byproduct of where you hit it, not necessarily how you sort of arced your back or did any kind of loop. It was more of the position. So I often believe that this whole launch angle thing should be more called like the point of contact because you never see a guy hit a – by the way, they say 27 degrees is the ultimate angle to hit a ball. Okay, so when you pull your, your protractor out and, and angle yourself 27 degrees, all that really means is you hit a, a, a high-line drive at a, you know, with a certain amount of velocity, and the math does the rest of it. That ball is going to go X amount of feet because it's going that fast at that angle, right? It's it's a triangulation thing. And so, you know, right. uh, that's one of the things Bobby and I were talking about is, you know, when you just add the Harvard guys to the mix, you know, the Ivy League guys to this baseball mix now, they're just changing the vocabulary against what you and I and 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 going back to even my grandpa's generation, we just called it different stuff. We just it was a different or a different um, the way that we we accomplished the same the same goals. We thought about it in a different way. Um, do you think that that's true, or do you think that these sort of the new and you have the benefit of coaching, you know, up just up until you know five seven years ago or so? Um, do you feel like there's this newer, this newer vocabulary and sort of technology is the same, or and just worded differently, or do you think it's in a whole different? Like, well, like I, I think thought? I think you're on the right track, and I agree with what you're saying partially because when you watch a guy hit, let's just take um, the guy with the Dodgers that's hitting all the home runs, not, not Muncie, but the Bellinger. Okay, he'll go down to get a low heater and lift it like nobody can right now. And that's a terrific swing. But he's going down to get that ball, and he's, his bat angle lifts it, and his, his finish lifts the ball. He can't do that off of DeGrom or Syndergaard when they're throwing letter high and expect right. it to hit, to hit that ball. He's got to get on top of it. He's got to get up there with that ball to hit it. And, and that's why... Guys that can that, that Verlander's still pitching because 96 above the belt it is That's hard tough. to get to. It's hard yeah. to get to. So you know most the you know guys that threw hard or were to little guys like myself. I I needed to think I got to stay on top of the ball. I didn't want to hit a ground ball to second. I wanted to hit a bullet in the gap. But I, I fly balls weren't necessarily that great for me because they might not go out of the park. Not all the parks like they have built in the last 20 years back then weren't band boxes like they are now. I mean, Fenway is, yeah, obviously. I played there seven years. But I only had 22 home runs in Fenway. And if I would have tried to hit home runs, 
instead of being a 275 hitter career, I would have been a 240 hitter. Right. Because of things called the slider and the splitty and and good curveballs and things like that, trying to turn on stuff all the time. But and and finally learning what I was and what my value was to that team was to get on base, not to not to do what these other guys are capable of doing on any swing like Lynn and Rice and Yaz and Fisk and, and, and numerous other guys, Dwight Evans and, and guys that I played with, Rico Petroselli, Butch Hobson, George Scott, all those guys could do that. But Jerry Remy and Rick Burleson, those guys needed to hit line drives and find a way to get on base. And so our approach was, and even the good hitters, you watch Steve Garvey on deck for the Dodgers, he swung down to right. get ready to get in the batter's box. He worked on getting on top of the ball. Then he got in there and he he just went to the ball with wherever the guy was pitching. You know, his swing naturally would take him to that that proper plane. But he wasn't trying to swing up on a ball to to lift it. He was trying to square it up. And if it went out of the park, great. If it went in the gap, great. If it went on the ground at somebody, he probably wasn't very happy. I mean, there's nothing wrong with hitting a one-hop bullet at somebody. You, you still did your job. You know, you made great contact. It's just hard to live with when it's right at somebody and you're out. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I you might be right on with, about the terminology and how it's just changed a little bit with, with, these, with the guys that are talking about, um, you know, the, the stats and what they call them nowadays, the um, – you know, the, the terminology, but, uh, we tried to get on top of a high heater. And if a guy was throwing sinkers, you wanted to get it out over the plate and get it up. And that's how you still were able to hit a gapper or a line drive. If you went after that one that sank at your ankles, you were going to hit it on the ground. There's, you weren't going to lift it, especially if it had late movement. Well, and that's something you just don't, by the way, I saw a guy, he pitched for the twins and I hadn't heard of him. I think his name was Barrios or something. And um, he pitched in the game the other night, and I had not seen him. And his ball was moving like, like Maddox's ball. You know, like he was actually throwing a sinker that you would see on TV in the '80s, in the the '90s, in the '80s, and the '70s. Uh, and you just don't see that anymore. You see straight, flat, 96. And my dad told me this when I was a young, young kid. He took me. You know, you grew up in the area, and there was a place called Home Run Park over in Buena Park. And that sure. and that place, yeah, and that and that batting cage had been around since you guys were in high school. And, um, and anyway, it, had Jim Jim Fergosi's name was on it for a long time. Yeah, exactly. He was involved and, with it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and so, Clyde Wright gave pitching lessons it, out of there exactly. to one of my boys. And I think and I think Rod Carew was involved in that place, but uh, at one point too. But my my point is is that it had a ninety and an eighty and a seventy, you know, mile per hour, um, you know, cage there. And I remember just going in, even as like a twelve year old. And my dad's like, okay, you're going to start in the 70, and and I'm struggling to catch up to the 70. And then and then the whole idea of getting on top, getting on top, getting on top. And then he'd move me up to 80, get, and then I'd struggle, get on top, get on top, get on top. And then finally get up into the 90s, miss a whole bunch of them, finally start making contact. Then he'd make me go back to 70, and now this thing's looking like it's it's slow, you know. And exactly. it was it was really interesting. And, by the way, I do that with kids that I train. I work on sort of different below speeds to get them acclimated to, to game speed. And I do that by moving the screen closer until, you know, I'm kind of on top of them and throwing pretty hard. 
But really, it, it still comes down to that point of contact. And that's what my dad was trying to get me to understand was that the timing of the point of contact. And I'm really, I was just so blessed to have grown up with, with a guy like my dad who, you know, I was like his little batting student and I loved it. I mean, it, he would always tell me that, you know, um, he would, he, I would always say, dad, one more. And he'd say, nope, we're done. And, and he would, and we'd leave. And I'd be, no, dad, come on, one more. Because he knew that that would keep me hungry for the next, the next day, you know. <laughs> and so uh, his little trick worked, and, and I pull that on my, my players all the time. But, uh, Rick, I, we've had you on for a nice hour here, man. You're awesome for coming on. And, and just wondering if there's anything else that you wanted to, t- to talk about real quick before uh, we can let you go. No, I'm 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 good. I enjoyed it. Um, probably talked too much. but uh, No, it was awesome. Hey, uh, anytime. Not at all. I, I, I really, really enjoyed it. Nice meeting you, Eric. Uh, sorry yeah, I didn't get too, to Rick. talk to you too much. But, uh Good luck with this, guys, uh, uh, with these podcasts, and I, I hope it it all works out for you guys. And we're That's doing it, yeah, we're doing it because it's fun. We also get a chance to to speak with awesome guys like you, who you know, we really admire, and both of us are lucky to have you know some connections with people and like you, and and we've had a chance to have some other cool guests on, and we're looking to bring some more on in the future. Um, but again, uh, can't thank you enough. We're talking to Rick Burleson four-time uh, all-star also silver slugger which we didn't uh, talk about but another another prestigious award and man you know the 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 uh the, the i think the, the hall of fame voters got to take another look back at your career because i think you did some pretty pretty special stuff and you belong in the conversation um along with a lot of guys in your in your era that uh you know i think were overlooked um or or passed on for whatever reasons. But I think, you know, you're one of those guys that could definitely be part of that conversation. Uh, congratulations on an awesome career. Uh, and so people can find you. Or, or do you do any social media stuff? Or are you out doing anything? Or are you just kind of chilling these days? Do Are you promoting anything or doing anything like that? No, I'm basically uh, full-time retired grandpa, uh, All right. six grandkids, five boys, and uh, they're all, you know, all getting involved in little league. I just got done watching uh, the two oldest play all stars out of Lake Elsinore. Awesome. And, um, yeah, it was, it was a blast. Uh, the only thing was the drive, you know, that's that going up and down that 15 is rough. <laughs> it, uh, it certainly is. <laughs> it but, definitely uh, is. Uh, no, it's, it's been wonderful and just enjoying the, uh, retired time. And, and, uh, my thing now is I, I try to play golf, uh, as much as I can. And, I really gotten into that and enjoy it. Um, you know, physically it takes its toll at times. You know, I've always battling hamstrings and hips and knees and things like that. But you know what? I think guess that comes with getting older too. So, hey, you, you got to do gotta, it. You got to you got to hang with it. You got to keep. I got moving, the CB, I got the CBD cream now and the CBD oil, go. so <laughs> it's helping and uh, right. it does help. So, uh, as long as I can afford keeping that a little bit going uh it it helps the aches and pains but and even if it and, and like tell my dad who wears those copper bracelets i said dad even if it even if they've proven that those things don't work don't keep wearing them because you think they work so they work and he's like okay exactly <laughs> so, no that's awesome exactly. well, great to hear that and i know uh, we'll hopefully see you out at these uh these uh, these these golf tournaments typically are on mondays so uh, hopefully we'll see you out there on one of these monday uh, golf tournaments, these celebrity golf tournaments. Every now and then, I get asked to be a a D list celebrity because you know I wrote a best selling book. You know my 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 book got the number one, and so 
I, I kind of come on as a as an author celebrity guy, and and the the foursome that get me, they're very disappointed when they find out that I'm their celebrity. But uh, I, every now and then I get to get out and have some fun uh, at, at those. So uh, maybe we'll run into each other coming up here one of these days. But Rick, thanks so much for your time, man. And uh, hopefully I'll see you around here one of these days, and maybe we can get a get a get a round going with my pops here one of these days. You got it. Anytime, bud. Look forward to it, Jimmy. Thank All you, right. and Eric. Guys, have a good one. Thanks. You too. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That was great, Eric. That was awesome. I was glad he was able to stay on for so long. Yeah, and, you know, uh, I was telling you before, I said, I've talked to Rick before, and, you know, he can can lay some, uh, you know, he can talk a little bit, but he's not a talker. You know, he's not one of those, like, like crazy talkers like I tend to be, and and you've met my dad, and, and, you know, uh, you can be one yourself, you know. That's um, right. And uh, so it went up, but it was great to hear him expound. And, and I was so glad he brought up, because I didn't really, I saw that he, he broke the record or tied the record for the most errors in your first game. Uh, and a lot of guys, like, would not want to bring that up. Uh, they would want right. to put that under the carpet. So I thought that was really neat that he just, you know, he owned it. And he's like, yeah, it happened. And, uh, you know, yeah. don't want to make don't want to make excuses, but the ball ate me up and I threw it away. And, <laughs> and. You know, he's probably done that before in, in other times of his life and in and less in a less, you know, uh high 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 profile game as your first game in the majors. But uh yeah. you know, but then then you get your first uh your first hit was a fake blind uh <laughs> Jack. How great is that? <laughs> you know? So so no, I, I like how he said he got uh, humble after that first game. Well, you know what, and I think that there what's his name? Clint Riddle, the manager of the Pirates, like his his uh his quote is, you know, um, most baseball players are humble and the rest soon will be, you know. Yeah, so, that's right. Because baseball, I, you know, and it, it's it's one of those things where, you know, I've kind of even sort of looked at th- that like that's the way to act even in life. You know, it's really easy to walk around like a rooster and right. um, and, and be real cocky when, when things are all going your way. Uh, but what happens when, they, when they're not? You know, what happens right. when life, life kicks you in the balls and, and you're not wearing a cup, you know, now what do you do? That's right. Uh, and to me, you know, um, I think it's better to stay even keeled, even when you're, when you are kicking ass, you know, walk and act in a, in a, and, and treat people in a very, very humble manner. Um, and, and give back certainly if you can, but do it sort of, you know, without self-promotion. Right. Um, and, and I think that that's, you know, that's what baseball, I think also teaches you as a, as a player is that, you know, you could be, for one moment, you can be the best baseball player on the planet, and the next moment, baseball is going to find a way to, to, to change that, you know. And, and, and That's it, right. It could be under a circumstance that you never would have dreamed would have happened, like 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 Rick described on his first game at short. You know, here's a guy who really made it to the big league so quickly because he's such a great, you know, defensive player and he could hit a little bit. Um, and then what happens on his first game, of course, you know, the airs, but, uh, you know, that's, that's just like Grandall. Remember in the world series, I think you and I were watching it together. Um, the Grandall had like three airs in the, in that's one right. inning. Yeah, we were. Yeah. And, uh, and, and it was like, a good catcher. he's a great catcher. And, and, and I kept saying, I kept saying, look, he's struggling even catching the ball right now. Cause remember they, they started that game in the twilight, you know, and it was, and I think it was already, yeah, it was already in the fall, you know, the fall season. Yeah. Uh, where the, the the angles of the sun are a little bit different, and I and it looked like he just couldn't see the ball, 
uh, at that time of day, and all of a sudden, all those plays started happening. And do you think he woke up that morning with a gold glove on his on his shelf and thought he was going to break the world record for <laughs> most most errors in an inning by a catcher? Right? I mean, that's baseball, right? So uh, that's right. I thought it, I thought again, very interesting show. Um, you know, I, one of the things I just always want to remind people is we. This is now, I believe, show eleven. Man, already we've done eleven, and wow, all eleven. All 11 of our guests have been incredible people from Norm Ordaz uh, talking about expansion. Uh, we had um, Jeff Cirillo coming on about uh, competitive drive. We had Isla Borders, first woman professional player in a men's league. Uh, we had uh, Mark Merchant on for the draft, um, who was the, the pick behind Griffey. We had Mike Coach Gillespie, who I referenced earlier, come on talking about recruiting. Uh, Coach Gamboa came on. Uh, talking about you know the differences between his you know 44 year career in baseball, uh, I think I'm missing a couple of other shows in there. But we have we've had a great group of guests, and I think the content has been really fun, really interesting. Um, especially you know when it comes from like these are all world renowned experts in baseball uh, in various right. and and uh, and, I, and I'm going to go back to say and I and I, I wish people would listen to Isla's show um it's a little bit lower on the register of of our listeners um by by a couple of ticks but um it was so fun we we asked her to describe how you know you as a lefty eric you know you, you would be up first and then i'd be coming up second as a righty and how she would pitch to us as a left-handed pitcher and <laughs> you know right. it, i thought it was so cool because you just don't hear women speaking that intelligently of uh, baseball like like as a player would. You know, and I'm not saying women aren't; of course they are. But this is like, like she's talking to me in the clubhouse about how we're going to get, I like guess, the catcher, how we're going to get Eric Lennonberg out. He's a lefty, right. he's a pull hitter, and so how are we going to start him off? And you know, how are we going to get him out? What's our out pitch with him? How are we going to set him up? What are we going to do if there's runners on base? What are we going to do if there's if there's an open base when Eric comes up? All of these conversations that I would have had with any pitcher that I had caught, it, it just was really, I think, very refreshing to hear it from Isla's point of view, a, a woman. And, and she yeah, was spot was on. Yeah, she was spot on. And I think I think she would have got us both out, Eric, quite honestly. She would have got I mean, me, that's for sure. <laughs> her, her game plan with me was, was the ground ball to short double play. So uh, I think that would have been. She was going to strike but, me out. <laughs> with that, with that, she was going to set you up first and then, and then throw that that nasty slider away. So that's right. No, but I thought that was great. And, uh, you know, here we are, we're, we're entering, um, we, we take this show in, in early July. And so what we're looking at now is, uh, uh, you know, we're looking at sort of the trade season. We're, we're looking at now who's going to be, you know, what, what teams are buying and what teams are selling. Um, and it's interesting, right. interesting because like I follow the angels pretty closely and they're one of those teams that's on the fence. Like, do we sell some of our guys and and get ready for next year, uh, or do we go out and 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 make some trades and make something happen and see if we can't become a wild card team this year? So yeah. I think I think in the next two weeks it'll be really interesting to see what happens, and I think that might be a good show topic for us uh, later this month, July 2019, uh, to see what you know what kind of trades might come down the pike. Um, as we get closer to the deadline, which is absolutely you know, three, three weeks away, so that'd be kind of interesting. So, Eric, can you tell everybody how they can get a hold of you? Oh, first of all, let's remind people we have a, a web—I mean, a, an email address that they can send questions or comments to, and that is um, driving them in. Um, that's driving 
and then EM, short for them, driving them in at yahoo.com, driving them in at yahoo.com. And uh, we'll, we'd love to hear your questions and your comments. Um, we'd like to talk about them on the air. So uh, leave us those. Uh, by the way, I didn't check them this week, so if you did send one, um, I'm sorry, we'll, we'll do that next show. But, um, yeah, send those over. And then, Eric, let, let everyone know how they can get a hold of you. You can get me on Facebook, Eric Lindenberg. Just uh, send me a friend request. And on Twitter, it's Dr. Baseball, capital D-R of Baseball, at Eric Lindenberg. And keep, keep them coming. Nice. And then I'm, at face, I'm on Facebook as well as Jim Campanis, Jr., um, Jim Campanis Jr. on Twitter. Uh, I have an Instagram, which is the same thing, uh, Jim Campanis Jr. Um, and then uh, also, if you want to check out my YouTube channel, I do have some player videos that I post up there. So any of you college coaches are looking for the next superstar for your uh, for your college, check out some of my hitters. They're uh, pretty good. I got some good catchers um, this year, and they're both out playing summer ball. And I got a kid playing in uh, – Kid playing at Stanford right now. Kid play, uh, just finishing up uh, Washington, but now he's a grad student. Uh, he had a redshirt year. I don't know if you know this, Eric, but when you're when you graduate from college and still have one year of college eligibility, the NCA will pay for that fifth year, and you can go to whatever school you want. You're a free scholarship. Oh, I didn't know that. Wow. So he's out. Yeah, years. he's out. He's out on his free agency tour right now, going from school to school, uh, seeing what the best best fit would be for him, uh, not just as a student at their grad school, but also on the baseball team. That's right. pretty exciting. Looking forward to to that. So, uh, yeah, check out my channel on YouTube. Um, it's just Jim Jim Campanis Jr. So, Eric, another great show with our our, our good friend uh, Rick Burleson, uh, former short major league shortstop, four uh, time All Star, Silver Slugger, and obviously a super great guy. Um, and uh, yeah, I did, I got to call my dad now. We got to set up a, a tea time because <laughs> that that'd be a lot of fun hanging hanging out with those guys. So, yeah. Awesome. Well, Eric, as always, man, uh, always a pleasure. And then uh, we'll be back here next week, folks, with another episode of Driving Them In with Jim Campanis Jr. and Eric Lenneberg. Thank you very much. Good time. Have a, have a great week.